0: so, um, Devin McCourty, uh, can you talk about his leadership? He made a big play
3: there. Oh, and there. Um, how big has he been for you these six games during this streak here? He's well, been big for force for 13 years or whatever it's been, so... You know, devin gives us great leadership a lot of confidence back there in the secondary uh, make great adjustments and you know helps it uh, you know, helps get some things straightened out when they give us different formations and looks and splits and so forth so you know he's a very aware player has a good understanding of the defenses um, you know any player I've ever coached in the secondary you know he really knows what everybody's doing and, and and can make quick decisions on the field it's not just know what to do but you know can be decisive and and uh, and do the right thing um, yeah it was a great play is a very similar play he had in the uh, Cleveland game uh, where he, he tipped it and you know, almost got it on the over route. Um, similar type play, but yeah, really, really well played and he kept it alive. And, you know, J.C.'s, you know, you leave any, any trash laying around, he's going to pick it up.
1: All right, that was Bill Belichick on both Devin McCourty and J.C. Jackson. First, just to elaborate on Bill talking about Devin, not elaborate, just react to him talking about Devin McCourty for a second here. McCourty, I do feel like, is tremendously underappreciated nationally for what he's been able to do in terms of he's been one of the best safeties in the league for a decade, and nobody talks about the guy. Nobody talks about him. And if you really look at the second dynasty, right, in terms of the three Super Bowls in that five-year period, of course, the one against Seattle, the one against Atlanta, and, of course, the final one against the Rams, Devin McCourty's been the one constant in that secondary. Even if you look at the first dynasty, you had Rodney in 03 and 04, And, of course, you had Lawyer Malloy for the first one. But Devin McCourty's been that steady presence for that secondary. And we actually interviewed him. I was in on the Greg Hill Show on Wednesday. Or, no, excuse me, Friday. And Devin McCourty was on, and he talked about the fact that Rodney Harrison, he was pissed off that Rodney's not getting into the Hall of Fame. That's just a complete joke. I know that's last week's news. But I do feel like there is this sort of sentiment within the fan, not sentiment within the fan base, but this sentiment that, These Patriots players outside of Brady and Bill, it feels like at times they don't get enough credit for what they've been able to do. Like, how is Rodney Harrison not part of the Hall of Fame? The guy came here in 03 and became the alpha of the defense, completely changed everything, yet the guy's not in the Hall of Fame. So I love the fact that McCourty came on here the other day and was pissed about that. But anyway, 617 779 is the number. Are the Patriots the best team in the AFC and – now that you look at what Bill's doing in Max rookie season, can he win the divorce? Is now that now back on the table? And everybody wrote that off last year. 617-779-7937. But the other guy that Bill points out in that is JC Jackson. He says, if you leave any trash around JC, he's got to pick it up. So I felt it was interesting. After the win, okay, this is after a win, the Patriots beat up on the Titans. They've won six games in a row. They sit at 8-4. Here was Wiggy's reaction yesterday, or one of his. He does like five takeaways. Here was one of his takeaways after the game yesterday.
0: But with great wins come great losses, because say bye bye to J C Jackson. Here's why he is gonna sign a five year. He's hundred, gonna be franchised. No, no, no. He's gonna say, and he ain't gonna play. Listen up. If you see, hey, if you listen to us every Tuesday when Ty Law comes on the show, J C, get your money. Five years. 100 million dollar deal. Oh, yeah, yes. Marlon Humphreys is a quarterback from Baltimore, signed a five years, 97.5 million. Marshawn Lattimore, just this offseason, signed five years, 97 million. Mm -hmm. JC Jackson has better statistics than both of those guys. One of them is hurt, um, uh, um, Marlon Humphreys. JC Jackson's seven interceptions, he had nine last year. He has 16 pass uh, defenses. When Stephon Gilmore won it, he had six INTs and 20 pass deflections. J.C. Jacksons is on pace to, you know, obviously beat him in pass deflections. He's already got him in interceptions. And he is the other guy that has a legitimate chance of being defensive player of the year. And if he is defensive player of the year, then you need to strike when the iron is hot. And that means... You don't play on under no franchise tag. He's only 27 years old. Do not run the risk. And if he's learned anything from Stefan Gilmore or Ty Law is get your money. Cause, and that guy's going to be paid. I don't know if Bill Belichick is going to give him $19 million a you year. You don't think so? All
1: right, so that's Wiggy's reaction. After a win the other day, he's telling you that J.C. Jackson is not going to be a member of the Patriots anymore. He's going to be done out to the season because he's going to be offered a big contract. All right, so there's a couple of things that are just wrong about what he's saying. First of all, it's Marlon Humphrey, not Humphrey's plural. But anyway, just just getting back to the original point. So J.C. Jackson, by the way, Just to update you on his numbers, 36.4 quarterback rating against. That's second in the NFL. Most of any player targeted more than 40 times. By the way, McCourty's first in the NFL at 24.3, but obviously targeted way less. His completion percentage against is at 50.7. Fourth among players targeted 50 times. McCourty's at one, by the way, at 36.8. His seven interceptions, as Wiggy pointed out, that's one less than Diggs, second in the NFL. So, Wiggy is right about the fact that he's a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. You actually have two on your team. Another great thing about him, four receptions given up in the past four games that he has four picks. Think about that. He's given up four receptions and he has four picks. He's been unbelievable. And let's give Bill credit for this. He was right about J.C. Jackson. Now, he mismanaged the Gilmore situation. Nobody would deny that. There's no way to deny that. He's going to get a six-round pick back for, JC Jack- or for, rather, for Gilmore when the Patriots gave up or when, if he leaves the Panthers, they get a fifth-round compensatory. So just having Gilmore on the team would have gotten you more in return than the trade. So something else was going on there in terms of maybe Bill just thought that Gilmore was not going to be part of the program. He was going to be a malcontent in the locker room, whatever it was. He did not get good value for Gilmore. And quite frankly, he should have traded him at the damn deadline last year, but he was looking for a first and a player. He ends up with a six. Or it was a reset year last year, and Bill's been proven right about that. I mean, look at it. He reset. Look where the team's at. They're 8-4. and He was right. He reset the cap, and look where they're at. But anyway, you should have traded him before last season if it was a reset year. What was the point of keeping him around? You weren't going anywhere. You should have traded him before last season. Anyway, so I just want to get to this for a second. He compares him to Gilmore and Ty Law. Wiggy does in terms of... J.C. Jackson. Well, this is why that argument's flawed and why he's nothing like Gilmore or Ty Law. So not in terms of the ability, just in terms of where they were at in their careers. So Ty Law was cut in 05 when he was 31, and he was going to be a $12.5 million cap it, which is a big number in 2005. And remember the difference in 05. They had just signed Tom Brady to a new deal. Tom Brady got a four year, $42.8 million contract. And so he was making $10.7 million per year. It may not sound like a big number right now. Of course, that'd be a great contract for Tom Brady. But that was a big contract for a quarterback at the time. And in fact, one of those years is when Brady was the highest paid quarterback in NFL history, or the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. It only happened one year in his career, but that was during that contract. So you had to sign your quarterback to a long term contract. Ty Law was aging, he was 31. Bill was not projecting him to be great for the next four to five years. So he was not going to give him an extension. Same thing can be said about Gilmore. So this is Ty Law's 31-year-old season that Bill cut him before his 31-year-old season. Gilmore signed a five-year, $65 million contract with the Patriots. At the time, made him the richest cornerback in the NFL. That was before the 17 season where he signed the five-year, $65 million deal. So, Wiggy's argument is Bill's not going to pay him that big number, $19 million a year. He paid Gilmore top of the market in terms of the contract. He made him the richest cornerback in NFL history until people past him. Well, how about this about Gilmore? You know how old he was when he signed that contract? He was 27. This year, he's 31. Bill's not giving him an extension because he's not projecting him to be good for the next four to five years. So he's saying, screw it, I'll just get rid of the player. Now, I would argue with how he did it, but nonetheless, just getting back to the original point, you weren't extending a corner at 31. So you get it. He didn't pay Ty Law at 31. He wasn't paying Gilmore at 31. He did pay both those guys earlier on in their career, especially Gilmore at 27. He gave him the biggest contract ever. Well, how old is J.C. Jackson? Does anybody know? Well, he's twenty-six. So next year he's going to be entering his twenty-seven-year-old season. Remember when Gilmore got the contract from the Patriots to come over from Buffalo, how old was he? Twenty-seven. How old is Gilmore gonna be? Twenty-seven. So in terms of the age, it aligns more with how Bill views the position. He will play a he will pay a corner at twenty-seven for the rest of his prime. Which he's about to do with J.C. Jackson. He won't do it with Gilmore. He won't do it with Ty Law. And guess what? It's good business. You don't want an old corner, J.C. Jackson. You'll sign him for the entirety of his premier, uh, prime, if you will. Now, the other thing I mentioned is this: what kind of goes under the radar with this is where Mac Jones is, and this is part of the point that w- Wiggy's missing in terms of the money. Well. When Tom Brady was here, and I get it that Tom Brady was never making top of the market value outside of that one year where he's the highest paid quarterback of all time. But it's not as if Tom Brady was making nothing. He wasn't making three, four million dollars per season. Mac is. Mac is going to have a 3.5 million dollar cap it next season. Okay? The year after that, in 2023, it gets up to about 4.2, then it gets uh, close to five. But you understand the point. Mac Jones does not have a big number against the cap that's going to eliminate your opportunity to sign other players. right? It actually gives you a larger margin for error, if you will. So this whole idea, this thought process as it pertains to Bill, first of all, it's flawed. Like He's paid corners before, and he's paid corners like Gilmore good money, especially at the time, the richest contract in the history of the position. But anyway, now the fact that, Bill Belichick has a situation where he has a quarterback on a rookie contract. It alters his ability in terms of what he's doing in the offseason, even if you look at next offseason. So the Patriots are not going to have the same amount of money they did last year, obviously. They had $70 million in salary cap space. So I'm not arguing that the Patriots are always going to have the most money in terms of to be able to spend in the offseason. But if you look at it right now in terms of the contracts that they actually have lined up in terms of the guys coming back, the Patriots still will have an opportunity, and we'll see what they do with it in terms of what their priorities are. But they're in a situation right now where they're going to have about $29 million in salary cap space entering next offseason. Who do you think is going to get a large portion of that? J.C. Jackson. So even if the two sides can't agree on a deal right away, he's, I agree with Curtis, he's going to get the franchise tag, and then eventually you get a contract done with the player. Here's the other thing I would say about Bill. Bill's ego is going to keep J.C. Jackson here. Okay, think about this. Bill Belichick created J.C. Jackson in a way. I'm not telling you that he deserves all the credit for J.C. Jackson's career. But I'm saying this. If you look at Gilmore, he signed him away from Buffalo. He got Revis for a year in 14. Ty Law was not a Bill Belichick draft pick. That was a Bill Parcells draft pick. Okay, so when you look at this opportunity, Aqib Tlaib, you got him in 13, right? When you look at J.C. Jackson— He's a guy that Bill Belichick got as an undrafted free agent coming out of the collegiate level. Now you could make a real compelling argument, and I would. Right now he's the best cornerback in the NFL. So you think that Bill Belichick is going to let a guy that he found came out of nowhere, he's going to let that guy leave? And don't give me the Malcolm Butler comparison. There is no comparison between these two guys. Malcolm Butler had a nice couple of years after he had the interception in the Super Bowl. He was never close to the level that J.C. Jackson's at. You never had an argument across the NFL. Hey, is Malcolm Butler the best corner in the league? Nobody had that argument. With J.C. Jackson, it's a legitimate argument. It's him. It's the Jalen Ramseys of the world. Marlon Humphrey when he's actually... On the field is a really good player as well. But J.C. Jackson's at the top of the pecking order in terms of corners. So how could Bill let that guy leave? And the other thing I would say as it pertains to the J.C. Jackson situation, if I understand the opportunity, Bill Belichick certainly un- understands the opportunity. It's one of the best situations you can have in the entire NFL is when, A, you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, but, B, that quarterback has to play at a high level, which Mac Jones already is. I went through it. He was better than Russell Wilson as a rookie. He's way better than Ben Roethlisberger as a rookie. And if you look at that those comparisons, those guys had the stack rosters with the good defenses, with the running game. Matt Jones has the same thing. Now, I would argue his running game is not as good as what Pittsburgh had, as what Seattle had, but the defense is, even though it doesn't have the names, right now it's the number one defense in the NFL. Now, that Pittsburgh defense is going to have a ton of Hall of Famers. The Seahawks are definitely going to have one in Richard Sherman. They probably would have had a second one in Earl Thomas if his career didn't end the way that it essentially did. But nonetheless, you get the point. That def- Bobby Wagner is going into the Hall of Fame, so that's a- another guy that will get into the Hall of Fame. That was a stacked defense. Now, you don't have the names. The Patriots don't have the names in terms of the defense, but they're getting the results. They're the number one defense in the NFL. So Mac, with those guys, has already proven that he's ahead of Russell Wilson and Ben Roethlisberger. Now going further, B, that quarterback being good as a rookie, Well, that gives you so many opportunities. Ben Roethlisberger won a Super Bowl in year two. Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl in year two on a stacked roster with a loaded defense. When you look at Mac Jones, this is just the start in terms of what Bill Belichick is going to be able to do. It's really amazing if you think about it. He was really bad at his job for about three to four years where he drafted so poorly. Now he's back to drafting well. It's not just Mac. It's Barmore. It's Ramondre Stevenson as well. So he's back to drafting well. And based on the fact that Mac Jones' salary cap hit is so low over the next four years, he has the ability to bring in other guys in free agency. Like right now, we look at it. What's the number one thing that you would say this team needs going forward? A legitimate, bona fide number one weapon. Whether that be a tight end, and essentially it's not going to be a tight end because you signed Hunter Henry, you signed Johnny Smith, and Hunter Henry's been a really good player for this team. I'm not... Diminishing what he's done, but he's not a number one weapon, right? He's a good red zone threat. He's good on third down, but he's definitely not a number one weapon. But if you look at the other side of it in terms of what this team needs, it's that legitimate guy. And now you have plenty of avenues to be able to do it. And I know people are going to go crazy because Bill drafts poorly in terms of receivers, but you could do it via the draft. Or you could look at some of the big names that get out there in terms of free. Devontae Adams is going to be a free agent. Patriots seem like a pretty cool destination right now, and I think Matthew Judon deserves a lot of credit for that, signing with the Patriots and see him all over the place having fun, the mac and cheese stuff. It really does feel like this Patriots team has a really cool vibe to it, and it feels like this is now going to be a destination for players. And even more so than when Brady was here, because when Brady was here, it was all these guys coming in and they were taking less money, with the exception of Revis, who was just a hired gun. But these guys are coming here, they were taking less money. Now it's like, okay, I can go play for the Patriots. They're one of the better teams in the NFL. They're the best organization in the NFL without question. And I can get paid. And I can get money to be able to do it. I just feel like now the Patriots have become a destination. So just to circle back to the beginning of this, Patriots are going to have $29 million in salary cap space. Bill Belichick got an undrafted free agent cornerback in J.C. Jackson a couple of years ago. He's arguably the best corner in the NFL he has all the salary cap space going forward because of Mac Jones's contract. He can actually front-load it in terms of the salary cap hits to pay J.C. Jackson. It is not the same as Ty Law and Stephon Gilmore at the ages of 31. And in the case of Ty Law, when Brady had just signed a new contract extension with the organization. We're not even close to Mac's contract extension. So the comparison between Ty Law and J.C. Jackson, it just doesn't fit. And Bill wants to be competitive. Bill wants to get what Tom has, that Super Bowl Tom got it without Bill. Bill wants it without Tom. The way you do that is you re sign a guy like J.C. Jackson. And you hear Bill talk about J.C. Jackson. I don't see him letting him go. 617 779 7937 is a number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. A lot more to get into, including I do want to get to Bill deserves credit for the Matthew Judon signing, of course, but there's one other thing that's one other signing, I should say, that's had a massive impact. We'll get into that plus. I am a bit frustrated with the Red Sox. I'll tell you why in just a little bit here on WEI. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will
0: cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch
4: put the spring back into your step and into your home too. shop blinds.com right now and save up to 45% up to 45% off for a limited time at blinds.com blinds.com rules and restrictions may apply.
0: Hey Bill, uh, another
1: Kendrick Bourne question, kind of building off of what you just said. Um, he was specific yesterday in crediting you and the coaches for teaching him how to be more secure with the ball in his hands. Just wondering how impressed you've been with him, uh, with how he's taken to the coaching since he
3: got here. I think he's been very coachable, and, um, and I think you know we can see some improvement in the things that he's doing on, on a number of levels, um, you know, throughout the course of the year. And you know, I think if he keeps working hard and continues, which he has, he is a hard-working kid. If he continues to work hard and you know pay attention to little details, that the, the, there's still there's still a lot of room for improvement as well. So. Uh, I really respect the way he's um, tried to do what we've asked him to do. Um, and it's it's certainly, you know, going in the right direction.
1: All right, that's Bill Belichick on Kendrick Bourne. He loves Kendrick Bourne. I don't know if you look at those videos that come out on Twitter after the Patriots win, they – Throw up like the victory, not celebration, but the guys coming back to the locker room, and then usually they'll show Matthew Slater like breaking down the team, giving a speech, whatever, and they'll show Bill giving his speeches. A lot of times he'll be giving out game balls. (laughs) Last week he's just like, "Where's KB?" He's looking for Kendrick Bourne. He loves that guy. A lot of energy, and even Robert Kraft was like joking around. We got to get this guy to have some more energy. I love that signing for the Patriots. I mean, at the time you're thinking, "Okay, I don't know what you're going to get into Kendrick Bourne," but this guy's been unbelievable for the Patriots. Six one seven 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 nine. Seven ninety three seven is the number. Are the Patriots the best team in the AFC? Can Bill still win the divorce? All that on the table. Let's get to Mike. He's in a car. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing tonight, Brian? Good, Mike. How are you? Um, I'm doing great. I'll go. i
2: I'll, I'll admit that the wide receivers, you need another person. Yeah. But yep. The main thing on this team right now is they're giving up the run and your linebacker's a role. Hightower, I love Hightower, but he's a step, he's a step behind what he was. That yeah. was okay. He's good. He's good. They're noise for annoying. He shows up. He doesn't show up. You never, you never know what you need with Jamie Collins. You need a thumper in the middle. You need somebody. I don't know if you can get it in a draft or a free agent, but you need somebody to stop the run. I mean, the, the defensive line has gotten better. God shows done well. Barmore's done well. Guy's done well. But you need that secondary guy to stop the run. They didn't do it against they, – they didn't do it against – this week and, and Tennessee ran all, all over. Yeah. They um, need that more than a wide receiver. And I think the wide receivers are coming together. I think
1: their timing now is getting better with Jones. They're all free agents. They're all free agents. you got to give them time. And now it's showing. Yeah. Mike, I'm with you on the linebacker thing. And they use Duggar now a lot in the box there. And he leads the team in tackles. And. But when you talk about the linebacker position, I, they're going to need to get more out of Uche in the future. I'm not talking about this year, but into the future. But you're right. I mean, that is another position if you look at it in terms of that number one weapon offensively and then the linebacker. That linebacking core is old. Even when you bring back a guy like Collins, you bring back Van Noy. Van Noy's old. It is an old linebacker core. It's definitely something where you need to put some resources into getting younger guys next offseason via the draft.
2: You really need young guys. Uche's always hurt.
1: Yeah, he can't
2: stay healthy, he Mike. And I actually and Duggar, like him. I love Duggar. Duggar. Duggar is a great potential. Yeah. He could be great. He's still a step behind on a lot of things, but he's great. He's going to be – he could be a great Rodney Harrison-type football player. Oh, speaking of that, Mike. Yeah,
1: Speaking of that, you hear what Rodney said last week about Duggar? No. He's inviting him to his house to work out over the summer or over the off season. Nice. Yeah. So I love it, man. You know, Rodney will get him. Rodney will get him going.
2: Oh, oh, that's, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. But these other guys, you, you need a thumper in the middle. I'm sorry. I'm with you, Mike. Roberts couldn't do it. uh, That's what they need on defense. Yeah, I agree. They're all set up front. They're all set in the back. Yeah. They need that one supper. I love Dante, but.
1: Yeah, he's old. He's old. He's old. Mike, I appreciate the call. He hasn't looked the same since he came back. Ben had a decent year, but he's not the same player that he was a couple of seasons ago. And Collins can't get on the damn field. And he is right about Uche. I like Uche when he actually plays. Like, he flashes. But the problem with Uche is he just he can't stay healthy. It's an issue for him. But I do want to get back to Kendrick Bourne for a second here. Is because Bourne reminds me of the signings that the Patriots have had for so many years where they get a player from a different organization – They see something, they identify something in the player's skill set, and they get more out of them. Now, most of the time it's when Brady was here, but just think about a couple of examples. Wes Welker. Remember when the Patriots traded for him prior to the 07 season? Wes Welker was underutilized in Miami. He was essentially a return guy for them. He wasn't heavily involved in the receiving game, so they get him over. And you see him develop into the best slot receiver in the NFL at the time. Now, a lot of that had to do with Brady. But obviously, Belichick and company, they identified the skill set with Wes Welker. It was going to work with Brady. It was like Troy Brown on steroids, essentially, with Brady. And, and look, to Troy Brown's credit, Brady wasn't thrown as much when Brown played. So he could have probably done the same thing if he was still playing... If he was still on the team in 07, right? So when you look at it from that perspective, I have to say I'm not saying that Troy Brown didn't have the ability. I'm just saying they threw the ball a lot more when they got Wes Welker. Think about Stefan Gilmore, a guy in Buffalo that was a fine player, was not an elite player. And remember, when Belichick signed Gilmore, people mocked that contract, saying that, that was a joke. They overpaid him, et cetera. And we've seen when Belichick identified what he saw in Gilmore, we saw it. Remember what happened with Kyle Van Ooy. He was basically considered to be a bust in Detroit, he was a second round draft pick. Basically playing special teams for them. He comes over to the Patriots and he plays at an extremely high level. So there have been a ton of examples of this over the years where the Patriots see something from a guy on a different team and say, hey, we can get more out of the player when we bring him here. Kendrick Bourne, similar situation. So if you look at Kendrick Bourne, you got him for three years and $15 million. It basically paid him nothing to come here. OK, in terms of the salary cap ramification. So it wasn't a high risk move. But it was a high reward move because of what you're getting out of him. So if you think about the connection him and Mac have, he has a 79.2% catch rate. That's 11% higher than his career best. So basically, 8 out of every 10 times Mac throws Kendrick Bourne the ball, he catches it. 11.8 yards per target. So it's not just dink and dunk with Kendrick Bourne. That's 2.8 yards better than his career best. He's averaging 51.9 receiving yards per game. He leads the Patriots. That's 7.4 yards better than his career best. 623 total receiving yards. That's 44 yards shy of his career high. So in all likelihood, next week against the Bills, if it isn't against the Bills, after the bye against the Titans, he's going to set his career high in receiving yards. So, if you think about those numbers that he had previously, they weren't that impressive. So, the Patriots projected him to be the player he is. By the way, 7.1 yak yards per reception. That is ninth in the NFL amongst qualified receivers. It doesn't count running backs because, obviously, they're going to be way up there in yak yards because they catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage a lot of times. But, nonetheless... His career high before this year, 4.5 yak yards per reception. So he's 2.6 better than his best year. He's top 10 in the NFL in yak yards per reception. You saw it, how good he is, how dynamic he is when he gets the ball in his hand, when he had that unbelievable run down the sideline where he basically was able to, he beat two guys to the sideline and he was able to tiptoe his way through and get all the way to the end zone. And these are the type of players that you need in the McDaniels offense, right? Because – in fairness, it's not an offense. I'm not telling you they don't take shots down the field, but a lot of it is based on timing and those short passes. We saw it for years with Edelman. We saw it with year, for years with Welker. And clearly, Kendrick Bourne is somebody that has been able to do that as well. He's actually, if you think about it, he's been better than expected. 4.2 yak yards over expectation. Next Gen does all that stuff. So if you look at it, he's actually been 4.2 yards better than he should be after the catch. That's how good he is with the ball in his hands. And he gave Belichick and company credit after the game the other day where he essentially said that they taught him in training camp that he was rocking the ball too much. So that was actually affecting his ability to run. He's like rocking it too much. And ever since he stopped that, you have seen the results. But I, I want to get to the Red Sox for a second here because I'm kind of starting to get aggravated with these guys in terms of the off season. I'm not telling you that I expected big fireworks, but they signed Walker last week. What, on, around Thanksgiving? Uh, I, I just This one, to me, 505 ERA, 130 whip. You look at some of the advanced numbers. The strikeout rate's 22.9%, which is putrid for a starter. For Putrid for anybody. 43.2% hard hit rate, which means balls to travel north of 95 miles off, off the bat. That is horrible. Righties hit him hard at 287. Lefties hit him at 243. Now, the one thing I guess you can look at is he had a decent September where he had a 360 ERA. He essentially said that part of the reason for that was he stopped using his cutter, which absolutely sucked. But if you look at the postseason, so, okay, he had a good September. All right, I'm 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 not saying he didn't, but look what happened against the Red Sox in the postseason. He gave up six earned runs in just two and two-thirds. So when you look at it, it's just, it's essentially the thing that isn't attractive about this deal, so to speak, or is something that jumps off the page, is it's an innings eater. That's what you got, an innings eater. And my whole thing is this. You needed to add a starter after Eduardo Rodriguez, of course, left for Detroit. By the way, they just made another huge signing. They signed Javier Baez. Detroit's spending like crazy in free agency. But nonetheless, getting back to Waka, I don't understand why you don't go after Carlos Rodon. Because Rodon's a guy that you could argue in terms of a one-year flyer like the situation you're doing here with Michael Waka. That's a a flyer. If he works out great, you're you're essentially looking for another Martin Perez. That's what you're looking for with Walker. You're looking for another guy that can eat up innings. With Rodon, he was one of the best pitchers in the sport when he was healthy last year. In fact, when he was healthy last year, he had the second-highest strikeout rate in Major League Baseball. He has a devastating slider and a really good fastball as well that averages about 95 miles an hour. So, Carlos Rodon, the upside is an all-star player like we saw last season. Now, the downside is he's always hurt. We saw it last year at the end of the season. He was dealing with an injury. So, I understand the risk factor, if you will that's involved with signing a guy like Carlos Rodon. But if you're just, what would you do if you're Bloom? You have a situation where you could either say, okay, let's go with the high upside guy in Rodon, who, by the way, 132.2 innings last year. 237 ERA. The strikeout rate, I told you, second best behind only Corbin Burns, who was at 34.6. He had a whip under 1.95. 237 ERA. Okay, and if you look at it, his fastball, actually better than 95. 95.4 on average. That's in the 80th percentile. He has a unbelievable slider that opponents hit just 107. Now, I mentioned the fact that he had shoulder fatigue last year. He's had multiple shoulder issues throughout his career. Missed most of August, just two starts in August. But my whole thing about if I'm signing a guy to be essentially a back end of the rotation guy, because that's what Waka is, but even if – like if you look at the Sox rotation, you have your number one and your number two right now. Evaldi these going to be the number one guy, and Chris Sale, who I believe is going to be much better in twenty twenty two. We saw signs of it at times last year. Heck, he was really good in his last start of the season after being horrible for like four in a row. He was really against the Rays. Still, don't understand why Alex course, sent him back out there. But anyway, we're not going back to that. I am just pointing out the fact that you have your one and your two. So, at best, Rodon is going to be the number three in your rotation. You know you have Pavetta in the mix. You know you have Tanner Houck in the mix, depending on what you want to do with him. So, why not make a high upside play? Why not go after a guy that has an opportunity to be an all-star level pitcher? That's what Rodon has. Rodon has unbelievable stuff in terms of the fastball and the slider. Michael Waka doesn't. We're talking about about a guy that improved slightly because he stopped throwing his cutter. Okay, what's more intriguing to you, getting Michael Walker in here, who we saw the Red Sox light his ass up on multiple occasions last year, including the postseason, or would you rather take a shot at a guy that, all right, yeah, maybe there's a chance he gets hurt. Okay, maybe there's a chance that he's an all-star pitcher next year. You tell me. What would you rather have? That's that's what kind of aggravates me about the whole Red Sox thing in terms of that's my question now going forward is how are you, you still need another starter. And how are you going to get that guy if you're high Bloom? Because Gosman already went to Toronto and I wouldn't assign Gosman to the deal he got. And Toronto, I know that if you look at that team last year, they were they were really good and they barely missed out on the postseason. They actually won more games than the Braves who won the World Series. But if you look at that team, are they even even for what they were last year? Like they re-signed Barrios. Great. You had him last year. Robbie Ray, who won the Cy Young, went elsewhere. He went to Seattle, and you brought in Gosman. So at best, you're even, and you're really not even offensively because you lost Marcus Simeon. So I look at a team like Toronto, and everybody's talking, oh, they signed God. Well, yeah, they're, they're not going to be as good as they were last year based on losing Robbie Ray and lo- especially losing Simeon. Simeon's a guy that I would have voted third for the MVP after Otani and Guerrero based on the numbers he put up. Let's get to Mike. He's in Attleboro. What's up,
3: Mike? Hey, great show, well, uh, I've been dying to ask you about this Waka thing, and then you bring it up. Um, so my question is: Did he have one very good year? Like I think it was the Cardinals. Am I? Am yeah, I wrong? Yeah, no, you're
1: right. He had a couple of good years with them. Remember, he was their ace, if you will, the year that the yeah. Sox played it, the Sox played them in the World Series.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, and. Like you said, they're they're not they're aggravating us with the signings. So talking about baseball, what do you think of the Scherzer? I mean, thirty seven and getting yeah. that? I mean, I got to be honest crazy? with you, Mike.
1: I think the Mets are idiots. Like I, <laughs> you, I you're going to get the worst years of his career. I mean, even oh. look. I mean, look at what happened last year. He comes over to the Dodgers. He has this unbelievable run, and then he gets hurt. He's not available for them in the postseason. <laughs> Remember that he couldn't um, he couldn't just, pitch for them in that postseason game. He wasn't available against the Braves, so they couldn't even pitch him. So they I sure I you know what he is. I mean, he's really like the Revis. Like that guy never gets underpaid. He, he for him to get that contract at his age is ridiculous. Oh my! Goodness. Hey, if I, hey! I can't hate him for it. Good decision by him. I mean, he no. got the most money. He already won a World Series, so he doesn't have anything to prove. He's one Cy Young's cash out.
3: You know. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Hey, thanks a lot for taking the call. Have a great night. <laughs> Alright,
1: Mike. Good stuff, man. His line's open if you want to grab it at 617-779-7937. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to continue to harp on this. Either sign Rysel Iglesias, who was arguably one of the best five, not arguably, he's one of the best five relievers in the sport last year, 37.7% strikeout rate, or sign Ryan Tepera, who was traded over from the Cubs to the White Sox. He was better than Craig Kimber, when he got over there, sign one of those two guys. Because you tell me, if I'm missing somebody in the bullpen, you tell me. Outside of Garrett Whitlock, who's the guy that you can say, okay, definitely depend on that guy in the bullpen? Josh Taylor against lefty, sure. Not against righty, he's had over 300. Darwinson Hernandez, no. He walks the ballpark. So if Tanner Houck is in the rotation and Garrett Whitlock's in the bullpen, that's the only guy you can depend on out of that bullpen. Sal good in the first half, bad in the second. Matt Barnes, uh, we know that story. So I just look at it in terms of you need stability in the bullpen. The Sox do. They don't have it right now. All right, 617-779-7937. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So on the table all night, are the Patriots the best team in the AFC? Now after what we've seen from Mac Jones this season, can Belichick win the divorce with Brady? If you want to weigh in on the Red Sox offseason, not much to say in terms of who they've actually signed. That's on the table as well. But I did want to get to this. Could this college football madness actually impact Josh McDaniels? We'll get to it next right here on WEI.
4: After the end
0: of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medella is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela. Is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to
1: every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is kind. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month.
4: Deep left field. It's gonna
0: go. Alvarez.
1: Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
3: Could you see yourself leaving Notre Dame of your own volition? No. no.
0: I mean, look, I think Mike Tomlin had the best line, right? You know, unless that, uh, that fairy godmother comes by with that $250 million check, I'd, my wife would want to take a look at it first. I'd have to run it by her.
1: All right, that was Brian Kelly about a week ago when he was asked if he'd ever leave Notre Dame. Now, in fairness to Brian Kelly, he did mention the fairy godmother, and he said something like $200 million. Well, he did get over $100 million. ten Well, close to it. Ten years, $95 million. So here is Brian Kelly's been getting a lot of criticism because of how he left. So it was first reported that He had an 11-minute meeting with his team. It turns out it was a two-minute meeting with his team by somebody else. So, what happened last night is Brian Kelly. Now, Brian Kelly was actually recruiting for Notre Dame, and he gets the call about LSU. And so... It just turns from there, and he ends up taking the job, and it leaks out, right, via the media. Before he has an opportunity, and this isn't Brian Kelly's fault. Somebody leaked it out, right? LSU people want to get it out there. They're hiring Brian Kelly. It's a big hire for them, right? So it leaks out there, and unfortunately for Brian Kelly, he doesn't get to tell his players first. So then his text gets out there. He sends a text message to his team, and obviously somebody on the team or somebody, somebody else that was on that text chain, if you will. There's a lot of people on that text chain actually sends it out to the media. He says, let me first apologize for the late-night text and, more importantly, for not being able to share the news with you in person that I'll be leaving Notre Dame. I'm flying back to South Bend tonight to be able to meet with you in the morning, but the news broke late today, and I'm sorry you found out through social media or news reports. I will have more to share when we meet tomorrow at 7 a.m. But for now, just know that my love for you is limitless, and I'm proud of all of you and what you've accomplished. All right, so a couple of things. First of all, Imagine having to get up for a meeting. Now, I get it that Notre Dame football players are getting up early anyway. They're going to work out, et cetera. They're going to do their things. But can you imagine going to a meeting at 7 a.m. for the boss to essentially tell you, yeah, I'm out of here. And he doesn't take questions. I mean, <laughs> people are like, what the hell's going on? But the other thing that is so interesting about this, so they're looking at Luke Fickle, Notre Dame. Brian Kelly, of course, is leaving Notre Dame for LSU. Notre Dame could still get into the playoff. Like, now some crazy stuff is going to happen, but they still have a chance to get into the college football playoff. Luke Fickle could accept the Notre Dame job if that's the way the direction they go, and if Fickle wants to go there, Cincinnati could be in the playoff. So, there's a scenario. There's a really good scenario that one of the coaches could be gone in Fickle in terms of a playoff team. There's another scenario where Notre Dame could actually make it into the playoffs. They have a chance to make it into the postseason. And Brian Kelly may have already or definitely has already taken the job at LSU. So they won't have their coach if they potentially get into the college football playoff. It's crazy, by the way. Lincoln Riley got $110 million from USC. And he got a $6 million home and unlimited use of a 24-7 jet. And he gets to live in L.A., not Norman, Oklahoma anymore. Pretty good deal for Lincoln Riley. All right. Thanks to Justin for producing. I'm back with you tomorrow night at 10. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe and be well.